We are um, going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to pick up at verse 8 of chapter 5. And you're going to see how these guys didn't realize it back there, the volunteers, they didn't realize that messing with the lights, they actually gave me a wonderful illustration for the passage this morning. So we'll pick up at verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then finally submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then I want to read to you out of 1 John. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it as we're standing. 1 John chapter 1 begins with verse 5. It says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So let's pray and ask God to put this together. Lord, this is your word. And Holy Spirit, you promise to lead us into all truth. You also declare that your word will not return void. And so, Lord, as we have undertaken the study of this letter to the church at Ephesus, it's as applicable to us as it was to them. And Lord, we're here to receive today and do whatever it is you tell us to do. We want to fill it to the brim. And so, God, I pray that you would minister to us, that you would make it abundantly clear, that you would shine light in the dark crevices of our heart, that we would manifest those things, that we would allow them to be exposed, and that we would walk in the light as you are in the light, that we would confess our sins one to another, that we might have fellowship. Lord, we've all sinned. And, and Lord, you have cleansed us of all unrighteousness. And so we, we just simply need to walk in that light. There's no shame. And so, Lord, I pray that you would minister to our hearts, cause us to be one. Let us be children of the light. Bless our time now, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. In this letter to the church at Ephesus, and as we went into great detail last week about the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana, which was the, the, the temple of the goddess of fertility or, or, sex, or sex or sexual immorality or uh, however you'd want to put that together. The idea was this eros, and we've covered the three types of love as, as we studied it. 
But we also realize that in this temple of Artemis, that as you would go up there to worship, there would be different chambers within that, that temple where after you finished worshiping, you would then go and consummate your worship and you would, you would pay a price and, and you would, you would um, uh, perform some, se- some sort of sexual immorality. And there would be different chambers if, if uh, you, you chose a young woman, if you wanted to choose a young man, uh, whatever it was, it was all there at the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. And, and here it was, the entire city was affected by sexual immorality. And here you have this church that's coming out of this darkness. You have this church that is filled with people who have been affected by generations of probably incest, generations of sexual immorality, generations of, of children born out of wedlock, uh, generations of multiple marriages, multiple partners. They have no idea of intimacy. We covered intimacy last week. And, and, and that, that sex is a gift from God as an expression of intimacy, both physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy. And, and people who don't have that intimacy that, but, but enter into that sexual act, it then becomes to a point where it's, it's frustrated and it's violent and it's depicted in these pornographic images. We may have them on videos or pictures today as, as you access them on the Internet. Back then, as you, you go through some of the artifacts, and you go through some of the archaeological digs and the finds, they, they had pornography. It was just in the form of, of uh, clay figurines and the like that they would put together. And, and they were, it was just a vile city. And they were in the center of just miserable immorality. And, and so now Paul is taking a group of believers whose lives have been just tormented by this, and he's reformatting their lives. And, and he begins by pointing out who they are in Christ in the first three chapters. This is who you are. You've been predestined and chosen from the foundation of the world to be redeemed and forgiven, to be cleansed, uh, to walk in righteousness. And he lays all this out of who you are in Christ. You're a new creature in Christ. The old has passed and new has come. This is who you are. It's by grace you've been saved, not by works. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. You don't, you know, God's taken care of your past and he's prepared your future. And with that understanding, he then goes into the next three chapters to say, with this understanding, this is how you're to walk. And he keeps repeating this, this, this understanding of how we're to walk in Christ. And, and as we saw in the earlier portions of chapter 5, he says, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Uh, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a sweet-smelling aroma. And, and we, we often think of this, this idea of imitators. We don't, in, in our culture, that's almost a bad word. We don't like anything imitation. Imitation cheese, imitation meat, imitation mayonnaise. I, I don't want it. But, but this was a different picture because the word is poorly translated, I think, in, into English. <clears throat> Sorry. Poorly translated into English. It, it, the Greek word is mimitos. Mimitos. And uh, mimitos means mimic. And everybody has a hero. Everybody has somebody we look up to and we want to follow. And, and what I've done in my life is I consider myself not innovative. I don't come up with any new ideas. I'm an amalgamator. I look at men uh, whose lives I want to model and I see certain aspects of their life and I put those together to make this amalgamation of, of, of a teaching style that I've come to appreciate and lives that I've, I've wanted to model and follow. And that's what the Lord's saying. Model my life. Walk in love. As I, as, as I have laid my life down for you and as I have sacrificed for you, do the same. It's a sweet-smelling aroma. We talked about this fragrance, this precious perfume that, that, that a man's life is like a, a man's name. A good name is like a precious fragrance and better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. And we only know how precious your name is by the way your life has been lived. And we only know that 
when you die. Everyone's given a name, but whether that name is a precious fragrance or not depends on how you live your life. And so he goes through this whole idea and he says, no coarse jesting, no filthiness, no covetousness, no fornication, no uncleanness. He just says, just stay away from all this. That's, that's how the world walks. And the first thing he goes for is this purity that it's, it's our sexual identity. You know, every sin we commit is outside the body. Every sin we commit is outside the body. But sexual sin, sexual sin is that which affects our relationship with the Lord. Because as, as, as God would go on to say in his word that, that we u- unite ourselves with somebody else. And, and, and this is supposed to be an intimacy. And God has created marriage to be a smaller picture of his love for the church. And when we unite ourselves with darkness and we align ourselves with prostitution and we align ourselves with fornication and we align ourselves in this realm, we don't have any concept or clue of intimacy and our heart longs and, our, and we're empty. And, and we may be drawn by this intensity and this desire for the sexual drive. I mean, you know, for men, it peaks at the age of 18 and it's intense. For women, it, it, it gradually grows at a, to, at a different level or stage in life, but it's, it's intense. But God says, I, I want you to, to put that on hold so that the Bible says, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. If you're, if you're passionate and hungry for that, I want you to be as passionate and hungry for me. Develop that relationship with me. And so he says, avoid all these things. Avoid these empty words and, and, and this idea of folks trying to deceive you. That the world would, would say, as you're watching someone, oh, they're making love. They're not making love. They're making a mess. Really, I mean, it, if they could just show what comes from fornication or premarital sex, if they could show the, the, the single parents and the children out of wedlock and the abortion rate and the sexually transmitted disease, they make it look so appealing. But it's a mess. And, and, and we're being deceived, and we call it entertainment. And, and, and the Lord says, avoid that. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath is just simply, you know, reaping what we've sown. And when we, when we removed all the barriers in life and we took down all those walls, before you remove a wall, you might want to ask, why was it there to begin with? And now that we've removed all these, these walls of morality and now we're no longer even immoral, we're just amoral, there's, there's no foundation, we're reaping what we've sown. As we remove God from the culture, we remove him from, from the mindset of cha- uh, training our children. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We've removed God from the culture and we're wondering why all of a sudden our kids are a mess and why the culture's in a free fall. And, and the Lord says, this is awful. And in verse 7, he says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. Avoid them. He says, it's not fitting for saints. It, it, it's one of those things that, that people want to avoid the term Christian. Even the church wants to avoid it. We want to call ourselves God seekers or, you know, whatever it is. You know, I, I want to bring it back where the word Christian means something. That we're, we're proud to carry that title, Christian. And then when the world hears that, they say they're different, they're special, they're peculiar people. But you know what? I'm grateful for them. We walk differently. We live differently. We have been, we're called out. That's what a saint is, a called out one, set apart, holy to walk with the Lord and to honor the Lord. And so as he lays this out, then in verse 8, as we prepare to go into the remaining portion of chapter 5, which is going to go on to the, the familial structure where we're going to see wives submit to your husbands, husbands uh, love your wives, and, you know, and we go through you know, children obey your parents as unto the Lord. We're going to see all this. 
the Lord wants to lay out through through the Apostle Paul's hand as he's writing this. He wants to he wants to say one more thing before he goes into the structure of the family. He says, I'm going to make it so specific on how you're supposed to walk. I'm even going to reformat your families. You've been so devastated by sexual immorality. You've lived in a culture that I'm going to show you what a society looks like. The strength of a society is, is, is established by the families. It's established by, by God's covenant, what marriage is. God designed marriage, not the government. The government can say whatever they want, but they're not the author of marriage, nor are they the sustainer of marriage. And they can call it marriage, but it isn't. God defines marriage between a man and a woman. A man will leave his mother and father, be cleaved to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. The government can declare that, it, that a man and a man may marry, or a woman and a woman may marry, or, you know, three men and two dogs and a cat, or whatever they want. They can just come up with, and, and what are the foundations for declaring that? And oftentimes when you draw the boundary, you draw the line, people get offended, and they're angry. Who are you to tell me? I, I, it's not me, it's the Lord who's telling you. Take it up with Him. And so there's this battle. They want to shoot the messenger. So be it. But the idea is we're walking in the light. We're going to declare it to be what it is. We're going to make it manifest. And so he picks up and he says, with all this understanding, verse 8 is where we start this morning. He says in verse 8, you, for you were once darkness. Now, for some of you, that you're still in darkness. You know, J. Vernon McGee used to say there's saints and there's ain'ts. And some of you are ain'ts are going, I don't like that term. I was an ain't once too. Now I'm a saint doesn't make me any different than you. I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm not better than you. I'm just one beggar showing another beggar where the food is. You ain't got the food. I know where it is. I want to bring you to the food. And I'm, I'm not lording it over you. I, I, I don't present myself to be better than you. I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm just like you. The only difference is Christ's righteousness has been put on my account. The only thing good in my life is Jesus. Apart from Christ, there's nothing good in me. He's changed my life. He can change yours. I want you to have what I have. What's wrong with that? Why wouldn't I want to share all good things? And so in this picture, he says, you were once, you were once darkness. Not, not you once walked in darkness or you once uh, experienced darkness. No, you were darkness. You were, you were the epitome of darkness. You were evil. There's nothing good in you. In me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. My righteous acts, which means on my best day, where I'm trying to do good and look like a really good guy. On my best day, the Bible says my righteous acts are but filthy rags. And the description of filthy rags are the things that they would wrap the arms of those who had leprosy and they were bloody and pus-laden. Just hold those bad boys up and go, this is my best day. And you just smell it and you're like, oh, not good. And someone's go, well, I'm a good person. I, I, again, I've gone through this before. Yes, you may be a good person compared to me. That's not hard to do. But the problem is, I'm not the standard. God is. And you will stand before him and you will give an accounting of your life. And there are none righteous. No, not one. And God will say, why did you reject my son's righteousness that was put on your account to forgive your sins, past, present, and future? Sin is just simply meaning falling short of perfection. And if you think you're without sin, you're a liar because there's no one in this room perfect. Nobody. And the Lord is just saying, I get it. And I've given you an antidote to the poison. And that is my son's blood shed for the remission of your sins to cover you and cleanse you and heal you. And, 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 and the idea is, 
we talk about a catheter. That's that it's basically a drain to remove the poison in the system. And, and, and the Lord says, I have come to remove that poison. I've come to remove that poison in your life. And if you reject so great a salvation, you'll stand before God and you'll have, you can't say, I'm a good person. You, do you realize you'll look at the Lord, you'll probably have a heart attack standing in his presence. You have no idea who you're going to be looking at. You, you think this is it. You are deceived. All the baubles and the trinkets and, and we're, we're entertaining ourselves on our way to hell. It's like, I love what Pastor Dave said. It's like fighting for deck chairs on, on, on the Titanic. There's my deck chair and I want to put it right here. You're go, we're all going down. You, you, I don't care if you're first class or you're in steerage. We're all getting in the same lifeboat or we're all going to freeze to death and drown. Death is a great equalizer. I was in Coronado over the 4th of July. I grew up in a city that was very conservative and church-going folks. And and it's amazing what a few years will do. And now the city is just the reverse of that. Completely liberal. Abandonment of God. There's still some good communities of Christ there, but it's, it's awful. But there's wealth. Wealth untold. And I look at these people and it's almost like it's almost like they're so deceived that it, it, there's something to entertain every moment of their life. You can walk on the beach and see a sunset and you can hold hands and you've got wealth in the bank and you can live in a lovely house and you can, it, you're, you're deceived. Because every man will give an accounting of his life. You may be in, in luxury, you may be in comfort, but like Lazarus and the rich man, you will die. And the rich man said, could you please, could you have... Lazarus dip his finger in the water and put it on my tongue. I'm in torment and misery. And I said to him, where Lazarus is, you can't come. And where you are, Lazarus will never be. He says, then please go and tell my brothers that they would avoid this torment. I wouldn't wish hell on my worst enemy. I was driving back from the lake. I, I stopped in Bakersfield to get gas. I got out of the car. It was 112 degrees. And just, uh, I, I'm so thankful I'm not going to hell. <laughs> you think 112 degrees in Bakersfield's bad? You have no idea. The worm doesn't rest and there's misery. And so the Lord says, you were once darkness. You were walking that path of misery and deception. You were blind and stumbling over the things of God. But... Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. What he's saying is, in in John chapter 1, it says he is the light of the world and and men love darkness rather than light. He says, now you've seen a great light. In, In Isaiah, it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. That's Isaiah 9. A prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. Now you've seen the light. Uh, the, the word has been revealed to you. Your hearts have been touched. You want to respond to the Lord. And with that understanding, you're saying, yes. Now you've seen the light like a moth. You're drawn to it. But now the scripture says, walk in that light. Corey Tenboom, who, who was uh, a woman who had uh, saved Jews in Nazi Germany and, and, and uh, ended up in a concentration camp. And after the war, she went and was an evangelist. And she had a beautiful illustration. She'd come out and she'd have a flashlight. And, 
And she, she'd say, let your light so shine before men. She'd turn it on, it wouldn't work. And she'd go, oh, and she had this Dutch accent. And she'd unscrew the top, and she'd reach in, just pull out all this junk, string, and everything else out of it. And then she'd take a battery that says Jesus, and she'd put it inside, and she'd screw it on, and turn on. She says, in you, in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Empty ourselves of us and fill ourselves with Christ. And let the light of Christ shine through you, because he's in you. And, and, and as she declares this, the idea is we were once darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. He goes on to describe exactly what that means. He says, for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Here's what here's what light is. Here's what light is. Pay attention. Here's it. It's real simple. It's goodness. Whatever's good. We do that. Righteousness. Whatever makes us right with God. And truth. If we just applied truth in our lives and walked in truth, why is it that people do things in secret? Why is it that nightclubs are always dark and dim? Why is it that parties only happen at night? Why is it that everything's dim? You go into a casino. I mean, and, and you look at these things and, and the Lord says, this is how we're to walk, goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then he says, verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Why do we read God's word? Well, just like Mary said to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. We read his word so we can obey it. Open it, read it, and obey it. And so finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, we want to bless the Lord. And then he says in verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. When you, when you participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, you perpetuate that misery. The, 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 the naked woman in that picture is somebody's daughter. That's somebody's broken dream. No one looks at pornography and says, you know, I didn't realize that 60% of the pornographic industry is driven by drug addiction and broken homes and molestation. That's unfruitful. It's destructive. It destroys societies and cultures. Don't have anything to do with that. You know, it, it was just, it's, it's just a personal, private sin. No, no, no. Lives are affected. Lives are affected. And, and, and the Lord says, he says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Stand in opposition to them. We don't want them in our community. Shut it down. Stand in opposition to it. Oh, boy. You'll be attacked for doing that. You know, they, they talk about character. Talk about character. I love what uh, Congressman McEwen said. Little boy comes home and says, you know, all the kids... We're, we're picking on Susie and calling her fat on the playground today, but I didn't call her fat. I didn't call her fat. Well, you did the moral thing. You didn't call her fat. But to have character and to walk in light and to expose the unfruitful works of darkness would make a stand and say, nobody on this playground will call Susie fat 
that's over. And you would stand in defense of her. That's character. Anyone can not do the wrong thing. But the Lord commands us to stand for what is right. That's why ignorance of what we're supposed to do politically in our culture is not acceptable. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Workmen and women who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Apply it in everything we do, civic discipleship. We need to know how to make the best choices and what the will of God is for our community. Get involved. Just, just not doing the wrong thing isn't enough. We must do what is right. Doing is the fruitful work. And, and the, the Lord says, don't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Now, I often hear guys give their testimony and, and they start with, you know, all the stuff that they did in the past. And it's almost like they're glorifying it. I don't even want to hear it. The, the simple thing in a testimony is this is what I was like before I knew the Lord. This is how I came to know the Lord. And this is how my life has changed since knowing the Lord. But you don't have to go into it. I was the biggest drinker on the face of the earth. I'll tell you what, I knew how to party and nobody put it down like I did. I'll tell you what, the women, they were lined up all the way down the street and I was just something special back then, but Lord save me. (laughs) Don't. They're shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Verse 13, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. I, I love what the definition of manifest is. It says display or show by one's acts, demonstrate. Exhibit, display, reveal, evident, plain, clear. All those things that are exposed are made manifest. I, I get it. And you walk in and you, you th- make it clear. This is not of God. Uh, is, is there anyone else? The emperor has no clothes on. It's not a choice. It's the destruction of a human life. Is, is there anyone who doesn't get that? Let's make it manifest. Let's declare it from the mountaintops. We are annihilating a generation of children. It's not acceptable. It's not an alternate lifestyle. It's sodomy. Oh, pastor, you're... Wait a minute. It's not overeating. It's gluttony. And we've got to go through these things. It's not an affair. I like going to affairs. I like to dress up and go to affairs. It's adultery. And it's wrong. And so it's laid out. Manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And then finally in these last verses that I want to take a look at, the scripture says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Circumspectly means you're observing everything and you're walking with wisdom and you're, you're reading the lay of the land and you're discerning where you're supposed to go and how you're supposed to respond because you're sharp. You're on your game. You're like the point man in a squad in Vietnam and you know how to read the jungle. You know where the enemy is. You know how to lay down ground fire. You're walking circumspectly and you're prepared for that. Not as fools. The word there is, is where we get the word moron. Not as fools. Do-dee-do-dee-do-dee-do-dee-do. Walking out, hey, is anybody out there going to shoot us? Hello? <laughs> wise. Gentle as a, a, a lamb, shrewd as a snake. Be wise. 
And I love verse 16, redeeming the time. You wake up every day and you're given an account, a bank account. You can't get it back. It's gone. There's 24 hours in that day. What are you doing with it? And when the Lord asks you to give an accounting of your life, accounting of your time, what are you going to say to him? <laughs> I reached the highest level there was in World, world of Warcraft. In the, in the first-person shooter game, I'll tell you what, I was, I was in that, that was a bad boy. I, was playing. I saw the most movies anyone could have ever seen in the course of a lifetime. I've taken them all in. I saw all of Desperate Housewives. I know every single outfit. I know every dance that they danced in Dancing with the Stars. Redeem the time. What's the point? Everything we do, we do is unto his glory. Why? Because the days are evil. Here's a really good thing. Is what you're doing something that you want to be doing when the Lord returns? Okay, enough said. Could you imagine being caught in some of the stuff we've been doing? Lord shows up, you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't been doing that. Oh, bad news. Redeem the time. We're limited. You know, Pastor Dave got in a car accident on Tuesday. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Pastor Dave got in a car accident on Tuesday. And he's okay. A little bruised up. But he came out of that, and I mean, he was just plowed and thrown into a fence into another yard. It was awful. He hit it 45 miles an hour. But he came out of that thinking, our days are numbered. I have such a burden for the lost. You know, when Bob Gainsley was told he had two to six months to live, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And the only thing you're taking to heaven is, is, is people. Live every day so it counts. Walk in the light, make it manifest, draw people, expose darkness, live for the kingdom of God, not for our comfort, not for our security, not for our baubles and our trinkets, not that we're going to be entertained and we're comfortable. Go for it. Redeem the time. He says, because the days are evil, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Know that. And then he says, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. The idea is wine is not forbidden. Christians, you can drink. Jesus made the wine. He made good wine. He was at the party. Pharisees would call him a, a glutton and a wine bibber. Not that he was. But I would say this to you. You go through the scriptures and it says, be not drunk of wine, but of the Holy Spirit. That wine, wine is, 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 is deceptive if you're drawn to it. Avoid that. Some of you know, you know, one glass with a meal. But, but others, you, you know there's a struggle there. It just takes the edge off. I, I get that. I know. I know the feeling. But the Lord says, walk in such a way that that wouldn't be a problem. Honor the Lord. He says, what, what wine does for you, let the Spirit do for you. 
you know, you, you talk about what, what you, you, when you drink wine, you know, it, 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 it changes you. Some people are happy drunks, other people are mean drunks, whatever it is. But how it transforms your life when you drink it. The Bible says, let the Spirit of God transform you. The cool thing about being filled with the Spirit as opposed to being filled with wine is you don't wake up the next day with a hangover. You don't wonder why the lampshade's in your bed. You, you wake up and lives are changed. You're refreshed. You walk in joy. It doesn't wear off. Lives are transformed. Lives are blessed because it's fruitful. When you engage in alcoholism and you just pour it in and, and you're, you're just a vessel for, for gluttony, you, you wake up and your family's destroyed. I, I was raised with two, two parents. They, they drank like fishes. It was awful. There was nothing fruitful about it. And, and, and we need not do that. He says, give thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This would transform a number of lives if we would just simply look and give thanks in all things. We give thanks in the things we like and we get angry at God for the things we don't. Do you realize that the trials in your life are from God and they're for your benefit? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We ride with him like it's supposed to be some, you know, fairy tale, you know, magic. And then when it goes south, we just, oh, I, I'm getting off this ride. This is ridiculous. I asked God for this and I didn't get it. God knows what he's doing. May not make sense to you any more than it made sense to the servants to go fill up you know, 180 gallons of water into pitchers when they were out of wine. Why are we putting water when they need wine? Didn't make any sense when they said to the servants, take this and take it to the master of the ceremonies. You can imagine them walking over the bucket of water going, oh, we are in so much trouble. Walking over here, here's the wine for the rest of the party. And the master of the ceremony takes it and all of a sudden he goes, this is beautiful wine. They go, what's the wine? We put water, this is, <laughs> he's, go, wow. Says then that the disciples believed. God's going to ask you to do things that don't make sense. Welcome to the world of Christianity. But you'll be blessed when you see it manifest itself as you're obedient. It manifests as you're obedient. And so the idea is to walk in the light as he is in the light. And, and when we give thanks in all things, here's another way. We're, we know we're full of the spirit when, how we speak to one another. Psalms, hymns, spiritual praises, making melody in our heart one to another. Christian, why are you so bitter and contrary. Why, why are you always talking smack about people? Why are, you, why are you so upset? God's in control. It's not about you. If things don't go your way, don't get upset. God's using it together for good. Pray for those who hurt you and spitefully use you. Don't be embittered to them. Love them into the kingdom as God loved you into the kingdom. Relax. Have, have a song on your heart. And that's how the Lord works. I want to conclude the study of this passage by using, uh, with the nine minutes remaining, two illustrations, and I'll do my best to get through them. I will. The first illustration in this idea of walking in the light, as we read out of 1 John when it says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 
And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, the son, cleanses us from all sin. Walk in the light. Let me show you a picture of that. And here it is. This is out of John chapter 8, one of my favorite stories in the book of John. It says, when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. Now, stop there for a moment. She was caught in the act of adultery. Why didn't they bring the guy? They drug her in, and she was caught in the act, so that means she's probably buck naked. And she's in, and she's just humiliated, just cowering, and, and they're, they're, they're mocking her. They probably pulled her by her hair. They've, 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 they've just abused her. They throw her down in the midst of a crowd. How humiliating. Scripture says, stoner. Hmm. What do you say? I mean, this is God's word. You're the word. What do you say? This is interesting what Jesus did. Scripture says that Jesus stooped down and he took his finger and he began to write on the ground in the dirt. Doesn't say what he wrote. He just began to write as though he didn't hear them. That's what the scripture says. He just began to write in the dirt. Now, whatever he wrote, it says, when they continued asking, uh, um, excuse me, uh, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. There's an order to this. You know what I think he was doing? This is my guess. Joe, line, Hannah, Willie, Susan. You guys going, how does he know about Hannah? Who told him about Susie? You know why? All things are laid bare before the eyes of God. You're not getting away with anything. God sees it. He's writing down their sin. It's amazing how ugly our sin looks on somebody else. Now we want to make sure they're stoned. We love those tabloids in the checkout stands of the, of the supermarket. Because we feel so good about ourselves. Look at how vile they are. So are you and me. I beat you. I win there. He's just writing in the sand, and one by one, oldest to youngest, they walk away. You can imagine them just peeling off, going, oh, I'm out of here. I ain't playing this game. Off they go. 
You can imagine one guy seeing his wife's name next to his best friend's name. Are you, are you kidding me? I'm out of here. Just down the line. Down the line. And, and he says, he is without sin, cast the first stone, being convicted of their sin, one by one, until it says Jesus was left alone and the woman was standing in the midst. It was just Jesus and the woman. He said to her, woman, where, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? You know, the only one who, who can condemn is God. He's the only one that we've sinned against. We love to stand in just judgment of others, but bottom line is we're all in judgment of God. And the Bible says submit to one another in the fear of God. And if we really knew what we're up against, we would be merciful to one another. He says, where are your accusers? I mean, I've, I've written all their names down with a corresponding name that would probably cause them to consider their lives a little bit of a mess. Now, where are your accusers? And she said, no one, Lord. And she's looking right into the God whom she's offended. And she says, no one's accusing me. More importantly, importantly, Lord, not even you. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What he's saying is go and walk in the light. We know what you've done. We know what you've done. Everybody's guilty. Now walk as a redeemed sinner. Walk as a forgiven adulterer. God will use it in your life. Go and sin no more. And then verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I'm the light of the world. You know that what I wrote on that ground revealed the darkness of your heart. I'm the light of the world. You will stand before me and everything you've done in secret will be exposed. Now you either repent of it and walk in the light or you will be judged by it. I don't want to be judged by it. God has come into the world to forgive sinners. And I close with one last illustration and this is the one that's so powerful to me. This is, this is out of John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus. Listen, this man came to Jesus. Listen, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. He goes on and he says here, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? In verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we've seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. As the Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And then verse 19, and this is the condemnation. Ready? This is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. You know why you continue in sin? You think the church is a place where you can get a handout. You love to be around people walking in the light because it's a lovely community. But you're not fooling God. And ultimately, you're not going to even be fooling us because your sins will find you out. You have seen the light. Now walk in it. Otherwise, you're going to face condemnation. You will stand before God and you can tell him, I went to church. That doesn't matter. Being in church doesn't make you a Christian anymore than being in a garage makes you a car. You have a responsibility to do the right thing, to walk in the light, that your deeds would be clearly seen, that they've been done in God. And then I close with this. Nicodemus, when did he come to Jesus? Let's try that again. When did Nicodemus come to Jesus? He was a ruler of the Pharisees. He was afraid. Why did he come to it at night? He didn't want to be seen. I love this. This is in John 19. Jesus is crucified. He's up on the cross. He says, I thirst. They give him a vessel of sour wine. He, he rejected it. And then it says, verse 30, so when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit and he died. Therefore, because it was preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was high day. It was <clears throat> middle of the day. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> okay. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other thief that was crucified next to him. But they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead and they didn't break his legs. <clears throat> and this is what I finish with verse 38 after this joseph of arimathea being a disciple of jesus but secretly for fear of the jews asked pilate that he might take away the body of jesus and pilate gave him permission so now joseph of arimathea is in the light going to bury the body of jesus and the whole world's going to know now he's not going to walk in secret anymore and so he came and he took the body of jesus and now listen and Nicodemus, the scripture says, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds, and they took the body of Jesus, bound it, bound it in strips of linen with spices, and the custom of the Jews is to bury. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And so there they laid Jesus because the Jews' <clears throat> preparation day for the tomb was nearby. Nicodemus' life was so deeply touched. 
that he was no longer walking in darkness. He wasn't ashamed of Christ. He did the works of righteousness no matter what it cost him. I got news for you. He wasn't going to be the chief ruler of the Pharisees anymore messing with the body of Jesus. But it didn't matter. Why are you hesitant to walk in the light? What are you afraid of? We're Christians. This is what we do. We expose the unfruitful works of darkness. We walk in the light. And the only way the world is going to see the light is when it radiates in and through us. Let your light so shine before men that will glorify your Father in heaven. Amen?